0: All right, so welcome to our fifth and final installment in this series that we started several weeks ago called Not Even a Hint. And if you're just tuning in here for the first time today, what we have been doing in this series is looking at God's standard for holiness and purity in our lives. And we agreed together from the very, very, very start that sometimes that our standard doesn't match God's standard, but God's standard never changes. It's always the same as, it, as we were just saying, it was and is and is to come. It's always the same, and God's standard comes to us in Ephesians 5.3. Read it with me for the last time here together, and if you can say it without looking, more power to you. Ephesians 5.3, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. We agreed that our standard is usually a very watered-down version of God's standard. And the goal of this series was to erase the watered-down version and go back to God's standard, as it applies to all lusts. And we agreed that we're not just talking about sexual lusts. It could be any kind of lust. Even here it mentions greed. It could be um, lust of, of power, lust of information. It could be lust of, like, uh, relationships. It could be any kind of lust. And we defined lust as any desire that's out of our control. So eating could be a lust that's out of our control. All right, It's a desire that's out of our control. Sleeping, working, whatever it could be. Now, of course, when I say it's not only sexual, let's agree that the majority of it is. All right, So we don't want to just say, like, yeah, it's, it could be other things. It definitely could be other things, but let's not erase the fact that that's the big one that many people in our generation struggle with. Um, today. So we talked about God's standard. We talked about God's grace that will support us. We talked about how we need to fight the good fight and take steps along the way to purity. We talked last week about how we need accountability and we can't do it alone. Remember, me trying to carry this podium, I could carry it from here to there, but if I'm going to carry this all the way to my house, I'm going to need somebody to help me. All right, And I hope a lot of people are working on that accountability thing. And I know it's a hard thing, but hopefully it's something that we're taking strides on. And today we're wrapping up the series by talking about how to live a long-term life of holiness. Now before I get into that, some of you, rightly, are thinking to yourselves right now, today is the end of the series, I've been listening from the start, doing everything you've asked me to do, how is it over when I'm still struggling? How can it end when I'm still falling into sin, I'm still making the same mistakes? Where was the secret that I fall asleep in one of the sessions where there was like the secret answer or one of the hidden blanks of how just to do this and then I would remove all this sin from my life? Is there some secret answer? And if, and if and many of us, maybe we came into the series wondering that I could do something or learn something or say something and I would remove all the lust from my life. Well, there is no secret. There's no secret. And if there is a secret, I'm not the one who knows it. I'll tell you what I do know, and I know this is going to sound very discouraging at the beginning, but I promise you it will be encouraging by the end. I believe that no matter how hard you try, you're going to struggle with lust for a long time. You're going to struggle with lust for the rest of your life. No matter how much you try and how much you listen to my beautiful talks, you're going to continue to struggle with it. Now That sounds discouraging. It's discouraging if you came in with the, my standard mentality of, this is what I think I should be able to accomplish, I'm struggling, give me some tips and let me accomplish this. But here's the thing about lust, lust is an outside sin or an inside sin? It's an inside sin, it has outward manifestations, but it's an inside sin, like, it's like pride, Can I ever say, like, okay, I don't struggle with pride anymore. Like, I did whatever, I went to church, I did my Bible, I fasted for 10 years straight, and I have no more issue with pride. Can I ever say that? No. You're always going to struggle with pride. Now, the manifestation of that pride might be different, okay, and that's the same way it is with lust. The manifestation of lust, yes, we should be able to overcome, and then we fight, and then maybe we fall another one, but the issue of lust, man, that ain't going anywhere. That's an inside thing you're going to struggle with to the day you die. Again, certain manifestations, like for example, a junior high boy struggles with lust. We were in junior high, we struggled with lust. Maybe that's different than when we got to high school, we learned the new kinds of lust that we struggle with. And then we got to college, and we were given much more freedom to experiment with those lusts. And then we became uh, graduated, and then we got married. So I got married. I don't deal with lust? No, now lust is a different kind of form. And then I'm a father, then I'm a grandfather. I'm telling you, man, I don't think there's a person on this planet who doesn't deal with lust, in different forms. Okay, the monk in the monastery, the junior high boy. Same problem inside, different manifestations on the outside. Does that make sense? Same thing with like pride. Why pride makes some people very friendly and pride makes other people very unfriendly. It's the same root that makes one people pleasing and makes the other one annoying. Or annoying, okay. So because of that, I said that's an encouraging fact, how is that encouraging? That's encouraging to me because now I'm not a failure if I still struggle with lust. If I've done everything that I've been told to do and I still struggle with it, that doesn't mean I'm a failure. Because the goal was never a quick fix. And if your goal was a quick fix, I told you in the beginning there's no quick fix, if that was your goal, then you will feel like this is all a failure. And it's all a failure, but that was never the goal. The goal is not quick fix it's never quick fix the goal is long lasting transformation the goal is life long lasting transformation we want come into the series hear a few talks um you know pray this prayer uh, fast for whatever long you know, if you can do it for 21 days, then that should, you know, solve it for the rest of my life. That I push this button, I do this, and that solves it for life. But that's not spiritual life. As long as the devil is alive, and he's alive, and you've got a sinful nature, you've got a sinful nature, you're going to struggle with lust. Because here's the thing about the devil. He's very innovative. So you defeat one form of lust today, he's got two or three new ones he's inventing all the time his research and development department is very very strong right? and he's always come out with new ways to lust and new convenient ways to lust so you're never going to be able to catch up to him but that was never the goal the goal is okay let's go to weight loss I've been comparing the two a lot in a lot of ways it's the same way do you want the click here to find out you know, how to lose 10 pounds of belly fat by Friday right? the little ad on the thing Okay, lose 10 pounds of belly fat by Friday is that what you want? Or do you want to find out how you can do a consistent long-term change to healthy lifestyle, eating and living? Spiritually, if you're looking for the crash diet, the new fad, I don't got it for you. But if you're looking to change your life in the long term, not quick fix today, but to continue to grow in holiness over the course of your life. Remember how I told you guys, do you remember the purity circle? I told you guys several weeks ago okay I was saying about how purity is not black and white like either you're pure or you're impure oh you did this so you're impure oh you didn't do it okay you're pure it's not like that purity is a circle like a spiral it goes like this and as you go through life you have opportunities to walk through life and you'll be faced with temptations and you can choose either continue on the path to purity or get sidetracked you get sidetracked that's okay you can get right back on the track and you keep on going, and that's how life is. And sometimes you'll face little speed bumps, and you overcome them. Sometimes you face big obstacles, you go around them. Sometimes you face really, really, really big ones that knock you back, and you stay stuck for a while, but you can always get back up and keep walking that road to purity. That's what I'm saying. That's the kind of mentality that we want to have of a lifestyle of purity, not a quick fix. Go to the sacrament of baptism when we participate in the sacrament of baptism what happens we have inside of us we're born with a sinful nature okay that's every one of us we have a corrupted nature we have a sinful nature that means basically that I tend towards sin if you come and slap me on his cheek my natural reaction is slap you back on that one no thinking That's instinct you go to the playground and that's how it is you don't teach kids nothing kids They're from a very young, they're pure, whatever, but they have a sinful nature, which is if I push you, you push me. Alright, if I take a kid and I leave him inside a, a nice room with all kinds of glass vases and antiques and stuff like that, his sinful nature means if I leave and I come back, everything will be broken. Because that's inside of us, we tend towards sin. When you get baptized, what happens? What we wrongly think sometimes is that sinful nature goes away. That's not what happens. What happens? We have a new nature that's born in us, which gives us power to fight the old nature. The old nature doesn't go, but now we have a power to fight against it. So before it, we got no shot. That's why I spoke about this several weeks ago and I talked about judging, and I wrote about this in my blog, that we Christians are held to a higher standard because those who don't have the new nature cannot be expected to live by the same standards we do. They cannot be expected to, and God doesn't judge them the same way. All right. Our standard is higher. That's why I'm saying we have a higher standard on ourselves. But once we have that new nature, now we can enter the war and we can fight. And sometimes this guy will win. Sometimes this guy will win. And it's a fight. It's a lifelong struggle that will take place. God will help us and all that kinds of good stuff. But if we want to win this fight, we have to be in it for the long term. We have to be faithful. Like have faith and dependence on God on a daily and hourly basis. Winning this fight in the long term doesn't take the brains of a rocket scientist. But it does take the persistence of a marathon runner. And that's what I'm hoping that we all leave here with this series with that mentality. Here's our key verse for today, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 9 talking about how to attain a life of holiness not how to stop the sin but how to attain a life of holiness galatians 6 7 do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart that last verse galatians 6 9 that's a good memory verse. You're looking for a verse to memorize. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's an important one to keep in mind. This verse teaches us a principle that applies to everything in life, not just your spiritual life. It's the law of sowing and reaping. That again, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure this one out. I bring my five-year-old daughter in here, and she can explain this to you. If I give you banana seeds, and I send you out to the backyard, and then you come back a week later... Even my five-year-old knows that you're not going to have an orange tree. You're not going to have a tomato tree. You're not going to have a plum tree. You're going to have a banana tree. And she also knows that if I plant one seed, it's different than planting hundreds of seeds. It's a principle of life that what you sow is what you reap. And you cannot reap what you never sowed. You cannot reap what you never sowed. Did you know in your spiritual life there is a link, a direct link, between what you see in front of you today and what you sowed yesterday? Your spiritual life today is a direct result of seeds that you planted before today. And the only reason I didn't put yesterday, because I want to express that like over the course of your life you've been planting seeds. And where you are today is a direct result of the seeds that you've been planting. I'm not talking about your circumstances in life. Some people are born with a set of circumstances different than others. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your spiritual state. Why are some people able... Okay, two people lose their job. Alright? One of them destroys his life. Goes into depression. Another one maintains his faith. And is strong and is trying to encourage the other guy. Was this guy born with certain genes that this guy wasn't born with? Is that what it is? That this guy was just born, it's genetic. This guy just was born spiritual. Halo and everything as he came out. Came out with an igbeya in his hand and everything. (laughs) Is that what it is? This guy is stronger in his faith as a direct result of seeds that he planted yesterday and and the day before and the day before and the day before and the day before. Why is it that some people, when the catastrophe strikes, they turn to prayer? Because they've been practicing prayer for their entire lives. The worst thing that you can do, okay, in my house, I moved into our house a couple years ago, and the previous owner left a fire extinguisher. I never used a fire extinguisher before. I've seen it in the movies, okay, but I never used it before. So I said to myself, I don't want to wait till there's a fire to learn how to use the fire extinguisher. They go out to the backyard, no one's looking, okay, and figure out how this thing works. Well, some of us prayer is like the fire extinguisher in the glass case used in case of emergency. And then we get there and we have the emergency and we're like, what do we do? And how does it work? And we try to pick it up and we don't know how anything works. It's not that that some people are more spiritual than others. It's some people have had more practice and they sowed more seeds. And if you've been planting seeds of prayer, you're going to be very, very thankful that you did when the disaster strikes. And if you have not been planting those seeds, same thing. That applies to our struggle against lust. Holiness is not some mysterious thing which, like, the holy people get to it. Holiness is all about seeds. Holiness is all about seeds. And you must decide what kind of seeds you're going to plant today and how much of them. St. Paul gives two options of seeds. Which you are today, Right, is a direct result of the seed that you have planted yesterday and the day before and the day before. St. Paul gives two examples in that passage from Galatians chapter 6. What are the two options that you can either be planting seeds to? It may seem like there's many options, but in the end it all boils down to two. There's two fields. There's the field of the Spirit and the field of the flesh. And everything in life is being sown to one of those two or the other and the two are completely opposite of one another and each has separate management this one is managed by God and God is the one that ultimately gets the fruit of all this and he's the one who pays and gets the fruit of this this one is owned by the devil but what the devil does is he promotes you up the ranks in his little chain of command here so you actually end up benefiting a lot yourself and you think that you're actually benefiting and receiving yourself when you're sowing in this field but ultimately he's the one who's making all the money when you plant a seed whether here or here the thing about a seed is it's small it's like it's a seed like you go buy a pack of like a hundred seeds for like a dollar like it's just a harmless little seed and sometimes let's do on this side and the bad side sometimes we throw a little seed and we're like that's just a seed It's just a glance, or two. It's just a show I'm watching. I know it's got some innuendos, but it's just a show. It's just a little fantasizing, daydreaming. It's just a little harmless seed. Just a seed. What's the big deal about a seed? We think that a seed just... But I'm telling you, that those seeds, they don't just disappear. They go down. And you may not see it, but if enough of them go down, something might pop up and that's something you never know which seed is gonna sprout into a tree you never know which seed is gonna sprout into a tree and I think all of us can agree look to your greatest problem in life that you can't solve whether it's a lust or a habit, like whatever it is it started with a seed didn't it? it started with a seed and it was that seed that we thought at the time and it was just a seed and it was just nothing it's it was just a seed and next thing you know the seed here we are struggling with the tree you gotta realize that little compromises don't go away very good that's the picture I wanted to get to that was the seed okay those nice pictures are you sowing to the spirit or are you sowing to the flesh you notice that many times throughout this series I've given like the example of like a TV show like this TV show that you watch or this movie that you watch. You know why? Because those little seeds that we think are so insignificant, I promise you those things are adding up and the flip of that the flip of that that the little victories also add up the time that you just turn the channel from that commercial that little victory which is like harmless with a world of temptation and I just did this one little thing thats a victory. That's a seed that could also spring up. When you turn away, when you stop yourself from that conversation, those little seeds, those also become trees. But you've got to ask yourself, where are you spending more? Every day you're spending time, you're, you're, you're planting to one or the other. You're planting to both of them, I should say. You're throwing some here and some here. But how much are you planting here versus here? Why is it? I'll give you this one. Why is it that some of you have told me, Abuna, I've been doing everything you've been telling me to do. I've been listening to this series. I've been praying. I'm sorry, no, not I've been praying. Sorry, leave that one. I've been doing everything that you said, and I've been trying to avoid, and I haven't looked at this, and I haven't done this bad, and I've stopped myself from this, but I feel weaker than ever before. You know why? Because holiness is not about not planting to the flesh. Holiness is about Planting to the Spirit. If all you do is try to avoid the flesh, but you never invest in the Spirit, like a garden, and I'm always pulling out weeds, and there's no weeds, and I pull out all the weeds, no weeds. That doesn't mean I have fruit. Because I have to plant, and then weed, and then plant, and then weed, and then plant, and then weed. It's great that you hate that sin, and it's great that you're trying to resist, and it's great that you've got an accountability partner. Those things are fantastic. But if you want lifelong success, and you want lifelong transformation, you must be deliberate and intentional in the seeds you're going to plant to the Spirit. Is for you, is for you, is for you, is holiness a wish or is it a deliberate strategy? Is holiness for you just like a wish that one day it'll descend upon you? Or do you have an intentional, deliberate strategy of how you are going to grow in holiness step by step and the actions you're gonna take to sow to the spirit so that not by next week, not by next year, not by 10 years from now, but by throughout the course of your life, that you're making progress and you're sowing to the Spirit and sometimes like I said we fall okay but you got a strategy and you got a plan you can't undo the mistakes you've made here stop trying to undo the stuff that you messed up stop you can't it's there accepted but start sowing to the Spirit this is why y'all know this when y'all come to me in confession and y'all come and confess I did this or I did this I did this I sit there and I say yeah 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 and then I always ask the same thing Tell me about the positive side. Don't I say that? Tell me about the positive side of your spiritual life. Tell me what you're doing on this side. Don't just tell me about this side. Okay, that's great. I know that. But I'm saying push more on this side. And the more you push, it's like offense and defense. All right. Yes, it's good to have a good defense. But if I score 100 points a game in football, I can allow for having a weaker defense. Because my offense is good. And if I'm pushing, and I'm pushing, I'm not saying I don't need a defense. But what I'm saying is that can cover up from some of them stakes over here. Every word you say, every glance, every conversation, everything you do is sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh. That's kind of scary, isn't it? That's kind of a lot of pressure. What am I doing right now? Am I sowing? Which one am I? No, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be paranoid. We don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be weirdos. We want to be normal people, all right, who are intentional about sowing to the spirit. Don't want to be paranoid, want to be intentional, We want to be deliberate. So what seed should we be sowing as far as on this positive side? There's a lot of things I could talk about, but I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about the one which I believe is the most important. If you know in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about spiritual warfare and it talks about the armor of God and it says make sure you have your helmet and make sure you have your shield and make sure you got your shoes and your boots and your belt and talks about all these different things in the armor of God there's only one offensive weapon that it speaks about in verse 17 take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God everything else is defensive take the breastplate of righteousness Um, shod your feet with the gospel Um, uh, have the helmet of salvation all these things Okay, on this little fighter guy right here, there's only one weapon that he has that can do damage, that can play offense. Everything else is defense, is protection. Well, here's the thing. If you have the greatest protection in the whole wide world and you have no offense, I got the greatest shield and I got the greatest stuff and I have no offense. It's just a matter of time where I can only take so much of a beating and my weapon and my armor can take so much of a beating before eventually you have enough arrows, you'll eventually get through. I need to not just play defense, but I gotta fight. Like you can't go into boxing and just be good at defense, try to get not, not try to not get knocked down. You got to go in there, try to knock the other guy down. Because eventually, no matter who your opponent is, if he keeps swinging and you keep getting hit, you're going to go down. Our offensive weapon, our most important weapon in our fight, is the Word of God. Let me say this before we go on. I wrote this down very clearly in all caps in my notes. I'll tell you what I do not want between now and the time we finish here. I do not want you to listen to what I'm saying and say, you know what? The Bible is very nice. I should read more of it. And then to set your alarm clock for seven minutes earlier tomorrow morning and read something from the Bible and feel like, yeah, now, yeah. I did quiet time. I read something. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want that. That's worse than not knowing anything what I want is you not to have a belief I want you to have a conviction a strong deep 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 inside conviction that the Word of God is the only weapon that you can use to fight off lust not the Word of God is something nice we should be spiritual we should read it not it's nice to know verses and it's good for trivia not like that it's I have nothing nothing to fight this war if I don't have the Word of God there's a difference between a belief and a conviction and we all believe the Bible is very nice but I want to be the one who has a conviction that the Bible is to me it's everything to me the Word of God is the only chance I got why let's read a couple of verses Hebrews 4 12 because the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God has power. It's not just a book. It has power. It's alive. Because the Word of God is the same Word of God who exists from the beginning and by whom the heavens were made. And when we have the Word of God, we have the power of the Word of God with us. He's alive, and He's sharper than any two-edged sword. And He cuts straight inside you, Then he gets to the root. Another verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why is there so much power in the word of God? Again, I'm not talking about why is the Bible nice. I'm talking about why is there power to fight off lust, In the Word of God, like, what's the connection? Read my Bible. Okay, my Bible said, so and so begot so and so. What does that have to do with anything? My Bible said that, you know, God ordered the destruction of the city. What's that have to do with anything? What's the correlation between the Bible and the struggle against lust? In order to understand that, we have to understand how the enemy gets us to fall into lust. What's the devil's best weapon? How does the devil get us to fall into lust? What is the devil? He is a blank and the father of all blanks. Liar. Okay? I don't know what blanks, some of you had a grin on your face. I wouldn't say any of those kind of blanks. Okay? He is a liar and he is the father of all lies. That's John chapter 8, is what Jesus said. The devil, how does the devil trick us to falling into lust? Does the devil come to a married man and say, hey, See that woman over there? You know what would be really cool? Go throw your whole life down the toilet. Commit adultery with her. You'll lose your kids. You'll lose everything that you value in life. You might even lose your salvation. Ready? Go. Is that what the devil does? Does the devil come to us and say, like, do we, like, the devil doesn't come to us. Imagine if the devil came and knocked on our door. The horns, the red suit, the pitchfork. Said, hi, my name is Satan. I would like to lead you to the kingdom of hell. Come follow me. If it was that simple, then it'd be easy. We'd say, no, thank you. Have a nice evening. But it's not like that. The devil is a deceiver. And he sneaks in. And he comes and says, psst, you had a rough day, didn't you? Yeah, you said it. You deserve a little break, right? Everybody deserves a little R&R. The devil comes in and he says, psst, see that? Look, that's nice. I know you don't want to look, but that's just a little look. That's just a little look big deal isn't that what the devil did to Eve what did the devil do to Eve hey Eve listen to me I'll get you kicked out of here is that what he did he said hey Eve look at that she said no that's not bad no that's not good no you know what you're talking about that's the good stuff you know this no, no, no. take no take one of those that's how the devil is right he's a liar he's the father of all lies and the word of God is the truth the only way to combat a liar is the truth How do you know people who, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is my imagination. People who study counterfeit money, how do you become an expert at knowing what's counterfeit? How? You study the real. You can't study all the counterfeits because they're always making new counterfeits. You can't sit there and be ahead of the curve on all the counterfeits. What you can do is know the real so well that anything that's not this is rejected. We need to be that same way up here. We need to know the truth so clearly, so clearly, that when the devil comes with a lie, I'm like, that's a lie. When we don't know the truth, he comes in and we're like, what is that truth? Is that truth? What's what's the lie? What's the truth? And we get all kinds of messed up. We get confused and we make bad decisions because we don't know what's true and we don't know what's not true. That's why we need the word of God, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That cuts through the mess The confusion, it cuts like a sword. And it says, this is truth, this is garbage. This is what's going to be real, and this stuff is invented. And if you're not committed with a deep conviction that the Word of God is your only fight, is your only weapon in this fight, then you're not going to make it. Physical temptations, I'm sorry, unlike physical temptations, which are outside... The temptation of lust, like I said, is inside, and it's all in here. That's why the Word of God needs to be something that's not here. The Word of God needs to be something that's here, and here, and here. It's nice that the Word of God is here in church, but we're not tempted only here in church. So we need the Word of God outside. And it's great if you can walk around with the Bible like this, but that's not very practical. So what we need to do is we need to put the Bible here. There's the Bible here. Put the Bible here. Let me show you how this works. I'm going to go through some sample lies, and I got some verses for you on your... I got the references in your handouts, but I got them up here on the screen. The devil says, lust is no big deal. No big deal. Eh, It's not a big deal. The Bible, the Word of God says, Job 31, verse 11 and 12, for that lust would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. For that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. Hey, lust is not a big deal. If I got the Bible, I said, "Oh, amen." Job thirty-one verse eleven says, "Actually, it's quite a big deal. It's going to cause a lot of problems." Devil comes back and says, eh, a "Little fantasizing. It's not a big deal." Wrong. That's a lie. Truth. Romans eight six. For to be carnally minded is death. Spiritually minded is life and peace. Devil says, "Relax. Don't make such a big deal out of sin." Take it easy, man. Truth, Matthew 5, 29, like we saw a little bit ago. We don't take it easy towards sin because if your right eye causes you to sin, you don't take it easy. You pluck first, you ask questions second. You pluck it out, you cast it from you. It is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. That's powerful. That's powerful when you're struggling with that temptation and say, ah, eh, it's just a little bit. No. Pluck, cast, better than being in hell. That's powerful Stop. This is the best one. God is understanding and easygoing. Isn't he? Big buddy guy in the sky, right? Truth, Colossians 3, 5, 6, Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the easygoingness of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. But it doesn't say easygoingness. It says the wrath of God is upon these things. See what I'm saying? Lies truth. What I do with my own body is my business. I'm sorry, that is not true. First Corinthians six eighteen says, flee sexual immorality, or do you not know that your body actually is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I can't control my lusts. First Thessalonians four three says, actually. I'm going to command you to control to show that you can. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You should abstain from sexual immorality. Then each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. devil comes and says, you can't win this one. You can't control it. The Bible says no. It says you can. And I'm giving you all the tools that you need. And I'm expecting you not to just be like everybody else but to control your vessel and honor, not like the Gentiles who don't know God. Two more. A little look won't kill. A little look will kill, according to Proverbs chapter 6. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man hold fire in his lap without being burned? Saying, can a man take a little look here, a little nibble right there and not get burned? Last one. Lust is a harmless sin. It has no consequences. It's harmless. What I do, it happens. Victimless crime. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. You don't think if you had those verses that I just said memorized deep in your heart that it wouldn't make a difference in your struggle against lust, Like, if you had those verses plastered all over your room, but more importantly, plastered on your face, like everywhere you look, like right there on top of my forehead, all over me, tattooed on my arms and my legs and my knees and my nose and everything, you don't think that having those verses in here would make a difference? That's why I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you not to read the Bible, not to like the Bible, Not even to love the Bible. I want to challenge you to hide the Bible in your heart. Practically. Let's, we've been doing hard things. Can I challenge you guys? And if you did the accountability thing, or you're at least praying about it, that's by far the hardest. This is going to be easier. But this is very important. Let's memorize one verse a week. Let's hold each other accountable. I'm not saying we all memorize the same verse. I'm saying let's make a commitment that the Word of God is going to be real in our life, that we are going to, like King David said in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to live pure? Your only shot is the word of God. You want to fight? Your only shot is keeping the word of God hidden inside you. Let's make a commitment. Pick a verse this week and memorize one verse this week. What I try to do, y'all are going to help hold me accountable, I'm going to hold you accountable is every week on Monday, like I choose a verse, a nice verse, either from my quiet time reading or a verse that touched me, something like that, and I try to memorize that verse. And I write it down on a little piece of paper and I keep it right here in my pocket. So that way when I'm going and I'm pumping gas, I'm trying to recite my verse. And if I don't, it's right there. And then when I'm in the, the line at the thing and I put my groceries on the thing and I'm waiting for the lady in front of me with the 16 items and the 15 only lane, okay, and I'm waiting for her, instead of judging her, i am gonna pull out my verse okay and i'm gonna recite my verse and then by wednesday i'm not gonna even pull it i'm be like uh and i'm trying to memorize without without even saying it and then i'm gonna keep on reciting it over and over and over and then by thursday i'm gonna get to the point and say i got it memorized let me do a new verse but i'm not gonna do that because what's gonna happen if you do a new one on thursday you're gonna forget the old one from monday don't do that just stick with one a week i promise you don't get over ambitious don't go from zero to try to memorize 500 a week just one a week if you do one a week By the end of the year, you'll have 52 verses memorized. That's not bad. And if you can do this for a couple years of your life, do this for two years, you'll have 100 verses from the Bible memorized. 100 verses. Think how cool that would be. And then what we'll do is we'll show off. We'll allow you to show off, okay? This is the only time it's okay to brag and show off. We'll do trivia together. You'll go, I'll go. We'll go head to head. It'll be nice and it'll be fun. Let's commit to hiding the word of God in our hearts. Pick a verse that touches you, a verse that's powerful for you. I gave you some sample verses right there. I don't care which verse you choose. Choose one that's meaningful to you. Choose one that says something to you. That, like, one of my first verses that I ever memorized, all right, back when I was a youngin, all right, is Matthew 6, 21 and 22. And I haven't recited this in forever, but I'll show you how it stays in there. Hopefully I get this right. The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I memorized that when I was struggling to keep these things on the right direction. So I said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If your, body, if your eye is full of light, the whole body will be full of light. The lamp of the body is the eye. And you keep that in there, it's powerful. It's powerful stuff. Choose a verse that's powerful for you, that's meaningful for you, and memorize and recite it. And then, once that word of God is in there, all right, not going to be in week one or week two. Alright, but after a while, because remember, we're long term transformation. We're not quick fix. Alright, we're long term. After I have the, that word of God in there and I'm sowing these seeds and it's in there, now all of a sudden, someone says this, and I respond with a Bible verse. That's really cool. And someone asks me this, and I respond with a Bible verse. And they want to be really cool? I don't even say the verse, I just give them the reference. You know? I just say, someone says this, I say, hey, Matthew 6 21 and 22, go look it up. You know what I mean? Now, the Word of God, I told you this is okay to show off. This is the one thing it's okay to show off. Now, the Word of God is not something like, okay, let me go away from life and read my Bible and then go back to life. That's our problem. That's not that anymore. Now it's, I'm going to take the Word of God with me. And now let me face this problem with the Word of God. Now let me go here with the Word of God in my eyes. Let me be in this conversation with the Word of God in my mouth. And and even I'm just listening, I'm watching this movie or this show, the Word of God is in there, and the Word of God is saying, "Uh uh-uh, no good, turn the channel. The Word of God is now not over there, an isolated experience, do it for 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. The Word of God is now my life. Can we hold each other accountable for that? Can we do that? One verse a week. One verse a week. I can give you two weeks off a year, so only 50 verses a year. I'll give you a Holy Week off, and your birthday week okay take those two weeks off every other week memorize a verse you got 50 verses every single year of your life ultimately the battle against lust comes down to promises whose promises are you going to believe hey we're in an election year this year right we're in washington dc so what happens every election you have candidate a can it be? I'm not saying who's A and who's B. Okay? I don't care about either A or B. Each one stands and says, I promise this. And the other one says, no, I promise this. And you've got to choose who to believe. It. And you're going to sit there and you're going to curse one and say the other is the right one. And someone else is going to curse this one, say he's lying, I believe his promises. You've got to choose. Each one is making promises. Well, you know what? In life, same thing. God makes promises said, so I promise you this. Devil makes also promises. Devil's promises, this is the thing about promises. Any politician doesn't make promises that are completely made up. There's usually some semblance and then it's invented at the end. Same the devil way. Devil promises, let's start with the devil's promise, then I'll go to God's. Devil says, I'll make you happy. Will he make you happy? Yeah. For a little bit says, hey, follow me, this lust, make you feel good. And he's right. It will make you feel good. He says, it'll make you satisfied. And he's right. It will make you satisfied. For a little. See, he will leave off, that's the fine print, that a little. He doesn't talk about that. He just says, this will make you happy. This will make you relax. This is what you want. This is, this is, this is what you want. And he's right about all those things. But on the other side, I'll give you one promise from God. Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Anything the devil promises, God also promised. But he promised it the right way. The devil offers pleasure, God says, I got pleasure. But the right way. The long term way. Devil's got satisfaction? I got satisfaction. Devil's got some happiness, some thrills. Man, I got joy inexpressible. I got what is it saying? First Corinthians two nine, show off. That which I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has come upon the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him and those who believe in his promises. Psalm 1611 is a good promise to hold on to. You're struggling over here, and the devil is tempting, and he's saying, and you feel you've got to hold on to the promise, that says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That I know, God, if I stick with you, you will make me a bazillion times more happy than that. You'll make me a bazillion times more joy than that. I might be lonely now, but you will give me true communion. And I might be a little bit sad now, or I might be a little bit struggling now, But what you give me will last forever, 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 forever. Because at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Like I said, I haven't seen or ear heard. No one can comprehend what good stuff God has in store for those who love him. We can't even comprehend it. Like me, on my most imaginative day, can't comprehend it. Didn't Einstein say something like that? Like man on his smartest day versus God? Didn't Einstein say something like that? Anyone? Moving right along. Okay. (laughs) Einstein said something about like all the genius of man all combined is but a drop in the bucket compared to like God's thoughts or something like that. I can get you the Bible verse, but the Einstein was like Here's my point. <laughs> you want to live a life of purity of holiness? You got to believe these promises. You got to know these promises. You got to commit these promises to memory. You gotta commit them to your heart and you gotta believe. What I've learned, and you have too, is that trying to say, No, I don't like this lust doesn't work. Because the truth is you do like it. Trying to say, like, no, I I just I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. That doesn't work. Trying to deny the temptingness of this. Never going to work. You want long-term success? Learn to trust in what God has in store and find satisfaction in God, in His Word, in His promises, in His reward, in everything that He has to offer. Keep those promises of God before you. Every fiber in your body at times will tell you, do this, do this, do this. It's times like that, you need that Word of God in front of you. When this is pulling at you, and you need to look at that word of God and say, you know what? I need to go towards it. Let's commit, word of God. Let's commit that we listen to the we believe the promises of God. And if we do that, then you know what we're gonna be. I'm not saying that we're gonna be perfect, but I tell you, if we keep on sowing those seeds and we keep on sowing them, then a year from now, we're gonna be here. And we're gonna keep on sowing. And then a year from now, we're gonna be here. And it's just like the little boy who gets taller when he drinks the milk, but he doesn't see he gets taller. But then his auntie or uncle comes once a year and he says, wow, you got taller. That's who we're gonna be. And we're gonna be growing spiritually without seeing it. We're not gonna do the quick fix. We're not gonna lose 10 pounds by Friday. What we are gonna do is we're gonna sow to the spirit. And we're gonna sow to the spirit. And we're gonna keep on the promises of God. And we're gonna keep on following them. And next thing you know, we're gonna open our eyes and say, you know what? We have made progress. We're gonna thank God and we're gonna keep on fighting. That's where we're gonna be together. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, the Not Even A Hit series is over. I didn't solve all your problems. I didn't solve all my problems. Probably I created more problems for you and me than anyone else. Because Like I said last week, God knows the devil does not like all the stuff that we're talking about because this is his prime area right now. is lust. But we don't care. We're gonna fight the good fight. We're gonna sow to the spirit. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna keep on fighting. We will not give up. We will lock arms. We will commit to the word of God. We'll hold each other accountable. And God will give us victory. God will give us victory in the long term. Let's stand for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, amen. Lord, we thank you for the victory that you have promised us thank you for the reward that you have laid out in front of us and that you showed us today dear Lord that you showed us today how sweet you are and how good you are and the good things that you have in store for us Lord help us to really commit to your word and to committing it to memory and and let us to hold each other accountable and let us to grow in our knowledge of your word so that we can keep on sowing to the spirit Lord all of us you know like the deep part of our heart and if, and if we could, Lord, push a button that says to, to stop all these things in our lives, you know, Lord, we'd push it because you know we love you and we want to please you. But we need your help, Lord. And we need you to give us the strength and the discipline and the faith to sow to the Spirit, Lord, so that we can reap that harvest of holiness. Thank you, Lord, for all that you did for us during this series, for opening our eyes and opening our minds and, and encouraging us, Lord. I pray that all that we discussed wouldn't just be like one thing that we discuss and then we move on to something else. It really could be like transformation of lives for years to come. I pray that you give a special blessing to everyone who's been following us here in this series and been doing all that they need to do, Lord. Give them a special dose of your grace. Let them to have a little bit of rest today, Lord, from their struggle and to experience a little bit of your grace in a special way, Lord. Encourage all of our hearts this day. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Make us, O Lord, worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.